Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 225, the Alamo Audible podcast brought to you by the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Republic of Football Podcast Network. This is your host, Jared Gomez. I'm getting head nods from Adrian on the video stream that I'm killing this intro. I like it. This is your host and producer, Jared Gomez, joined by my co-host, Adrian Munis. Adrian, woo, we got a lot to talk about, brother. Strap in. Strap in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and give a language warning before we even record this thing. I know... There's been some words slip out of our mouths with this one and three starts. So don't say we didn't warn you. <laughs> Parental advisory. Yeah, indeed, man. Indeed. And, and rightfully so. You know, Road Roader fans are fed up. They're pissed off. They're disappointed in what we've seen on the field through September thus far. And uh, what an exclamation point to put on that piss poor beginning in Knoxville with an absolute Molly whopping from Tennessee, 45 to 14. Sheesh. Funny. Literally the first play of the game, dude. Literally the first play of the game. Joe Milton runs untouched for 81-yard touchdown. Dusted and disgusted. Untouched. It untouched, was, bro. The zone read is one of the most common plays in modern football, and it was like UTSA had never seen a zone read in their life. Every single person Ooh. bit on that fake. Even even the pre-snap shift was in the wrong direction uh, with that uh, left side of the line. And I think that's why they got confused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and brother, oh my gosh, that was like egregiously slow on deep because there were guys in front of him that just mm-hmm. completely did not have the closing speed, or or maybe they have the closing speed, but they weren't in that gear yet. Right. Like they weren't ready to have to hit their closing speed on the very first play from scrimmage. But we had, I think, two or three defenders out in front of Joe Milton that could have closed in on that sideline run and prevented it from being a touchdown. Maybe it was a 30 or 40 yard scramble instead of an 81. But no, brother. <laughs> hey, Joe, brother. Joe Milton is deceptively fast, though. He's like six foot five, 250. But he, he's got some burners on him, man. I wasn't surprised that no one caught him. It was just the, the lack of recognition of the play early on is, is what did them in. And we saw a lot of that throughout the afternoon, the UTSA looking lost, confused, unprepared, just befuddled. Um, definitely a team that did not show up, uh, fired up, ready to win. It felt like a punt of a game. And I think that's kind of what we expected. Uh, if you go back to our preview last week. I think that's kind of what, we were foretold through trailer yeah. press conferences yeah. and through listening to Jeff Trailer speak in the week leading up to this game coming off of the army loss. He pretty much told us we are, we're putting this thing. We're going yeah, to the yeah. conference. I think he had a zero. quote something like after the army loss, like this is going to be one pissed off team and healthy team. Once we get to temple and it's like, dude, we still got another game. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I get it, man. I, I, I still stand by like once that Houston game was lost, the out of conference didn't really matter. Correct. You know what I mean? So I understand, but it's, it's clear to me how that attitude can rub off on the players and have them show up for a lesson inspired performance, especially in that first half. And I just don't like the idea of players turning it off for one week and then just being able to turn it right back on the next time they get onto the field. I mean, you have to approach every single game mentally exactly the same. It's not, you can't be wishy-washy in that regard. You can't decide we're going to punt this week, but next week we're going to be the big bad road runners again. Uh, it just doesn't yeah. work like that to me, Jared. 
Yeah, I, I get it. We have seen the team do this. I mean, that UNT 2020, 2021 game is one example where they just, they looked like they did not care if they had a game to play that week or not. And then mm-hmm. the next week they show up and have one of the best performances that this team's ever had. So I don't know how, but they find a way to do it. It was really, I was listening to the Blazer Victory podcast before we recorded and they played at Georgia. So that's number one versus number 24, 23, whatever Tennessee was. Mm-hmm. And the final result was about the same. I think they lost 49 to 21, but the Blazer Victory guys were so fired up because they just kept saying like this team fought, they fought, they fought. They played hard. They're prepared. They made adjustments. They had a new game plan. And then I'm sitting there listening to that. I'm like, man, that sounds like the opposite of what I'm about to say on our podcast tonight. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I'll, I'll also plug the mothership as well. I was listening to the Republic of Football, their their main podcast, where they cover, you know, all, all schools in a single episode. And our buddy Mike Craven said it best. I mean, you know, for better or worse, Jeff Trailer still approaches the out of conference as if he was a high school coach, where it's like your non-district play doesn't really matter. You want to win them if you can, but you're not going to throw the kitchen sink at an opponent that's not within your conference, that's not going to win you the district title, not going to win you the conference title. I think you can debate on the merits of that, but that, I think it showed. <laughs> sure, I think so. Well, and and again, it goes back to your point, and you lose the game against Houston, September's more or less a write-off, and yeah, trailer recognizes that, right? and I'm sure yeah. he approaches the Tennessee game completely different if we're walking into it 3-0 and or 2-1 and even. Right, right, you know? because if you beat... Houston, you beat Army. You are probably the front runner for the New Year's Six Bowl spot. Obviously, that didn't happen. So you don't even have to worry about it at that point. But yeah, I, I agree. I think if those two games come out of the win column, JT Clark probably plays against Tennessee. Frank Harris might play against Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah. Game plan looks different. Motivation looks different, but it is what it is. It, I mean, just like we said last week, it we're we are not going to judge this team on September. We're going to judge them on November and hopefully December. So it's disappointing, but I totally well, on this it. episode, we will be judging September. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Because, <laughs> dude, Adrian, a third of the season is over. This team is what they is, is what they are. Is that I don't know. I, I'm yes. so frustrated. I can't get my grammar right. Yes. This team is the gone. You know, th- yes. this team is not going to look like a completely different team against Temple or USF or Rice or Tulane. I mean, they'll be improved. I really believe that. And I think they have a chance to run the table from here on out. But what we've seen is what we're going to get is just like how much of a gradual improvement can you get um, to pull together those, you know, seven, eight wins that you're going to need to have this year moving forward. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about the out of conference play. You don't have anything to play for in out of conference after dropping the Houston game. And so, yeah, there's a little bit of write off in that regard. Also, Jared, I think it was severely understated or hidden even i should say the health of this ball club going into september the health of this ball club coming out of summer camp you remember how much we were talking like in fall camp like how little information was coming out yes i mean we we just had like some really boilerplate interviews like you just weren't getting much right and and trailer even said like this is the healthiest we've ever come out of fall camp how how healthy was a team leading into fall camp i think that's the part that we had no idea (laughs) And I do wonder, like, if we knew how many guys were out through that fall camp or were dealing with injury or whatever, if that kind of shifts the expectations and, and perceptions of this team. I think so. I mean, look at the list of guys out against Tennessee. 
starting quarterback Frank Harris, star wideout DeCorian JT Clark, offensive lineman Makai Hart, perhaps the anchor of the offensive line, mm-hmm. offensive lineman Ben Rios, a hog, linebacker uh, Nana Nyamu. We got we got more on the offensive line though, oh, and, and receiver. We got Chris Carpenter, wide receiver Chris receiver. Carpenter. You got oh, um, is it Daniel Ogundipe? Daniel Ogundipe. At tackle. That's massive. You got Buffalo Cruz, who looked like he was going to be the starter at left tackle. He's been out. We haven't seen him yet. That, I mean, really, that that could be like half of the starting offense right there that we just listed out. Oh, Dan Dishman at tight end. Dan Dishman at tight end. Got, gets injured a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Hasn't come back in. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the safety of the, or I'm sorry, the health of this team coming into this game, coming into September think was fibbed a bit to UTSA fan, to opposing fan bases. You're actually seeing the real health of this team on the field. But I also feel like, Jared, you know, what what we're seeing wrong with this team goes beyond health matters. Yeah. Goes beyond yeah. mishaps on the field. This team does not look mentally sound right now. This team does mm-hmm. not look mentally strong right now. And that's they're just what not they're really not locked me. in right now. Like the psyche is off and it's impossible from the outside to to know what's causing that. And there might not be a single answer, but this team just doesn't have the same sharpness that you saw in the, in the first two or even the first three seasons. I guess you could say under trailer, because uh, even that 2020 season, they weren't they weren't as good of a team, uh, but they were pretty efficient. Right. And they just didn't make a lot of these same mistakes that we're seeing. and. Uh-uh. I don't know. Like there, there are two plays that really jump out to me from Tennessee. The first one, it was like, I don't know, like second and second or something like that. And they had Josh Cephas coming across the field in motion. They snapped the ball. Ernesto Almaraz jumps back into a pass protection drawback, mm. hits Josh. All the other linemen are like run pass blocking. So they fire off the ball forward. Josh gets hit. Then Josh runs into the running back, I think what is, and it's just a total busted play. Yeah. It just looked like comical, like bad news bears type stuff. Yeah. And then there was a play not too long after that. I can't remember if it was Luke LaPaz or Walker Beatty. One of the, they like tackled the UTSA ball carrier out in open space. It was just really puzzling. Yeah. And do you know the, the, the mental mishaps and the lack of, intensity the lack of fire you know i mean it seemed like we pounded that 210 triangle of toughness so hard over the last few years and it's nowhere to be found so far in 2023 it's not a team that has come out and played intense fiery uh passionate i'm I'm just not seeing the hunger the anger the will to win or to at least go and play with some pride on the field I haven't seen it at all. I mean, and and that's going back to to week one against U of H. I don't mm-hmm. see that will from this team. I don't see the pride to wear the UTSA like we had seen it, the pride to rep the 2-1-0 like we had seen it over the last few years. And the, look, Tennessee was going way too fast. The tempo of Tennessee completely rocked UTSA mm-hmm. badly. Uh, this this is a, a a group that Tennessee controlled the ball for about 23 minutes, a little bit less than 23 minutes. 
and put up 45 points. Yep. Right. UTSA's offense has a ball most of the game. And we were completely stifled by that. Um, we were unprepared at the line of scrimmage. We were pushed around really, really bad at the line of scrimmage, which sure you're going up against yeah, the SEC. It's Tennessee, right? What I are mean, you gonna do about that? Yeah, yeah, I'm not I'm not too impressed about that. But it was more to your point, how many plays where the defense wasn't lined up or they were not looking even. at the sideline to try to get the play in when the ball was snapped. Um, substitution errors. They didn't have 11 men on the field several times. Sometimes it was cold. Sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes the guys got on the field so late that they weren't in their three-point stance or they weren't mm-hmm. over the right mm-hmm. gap. They weren't lined up in their, their coverage zone. Um, so to me, that it was very clear that the way they practiced and drilled for that week, they, did, they didn't drill and they didn't practice for Tennessee's offense. And it's, you know, that's not a total thing on the players. I mean, that a lot of that has to do with the coaching staff, not having oh, yeah. guys ready for yeah. that tempo, not having guys mm-hmm. ready for the next play. Yep. Because like, look, dude, Josh Heupel has run this offense for two years at Tennessee and then he mm-hmm. ran it at UCF before. I mean, everyone in college football knows they're going to snap the ball in seven, eight seconds or whatever it is. So if the play clock is running and the play's not in, it's too late. Just call base, call cover two, man, whatever. But you got to get a play in. You got to have the guys on the field ready to go. And UTSA substitutes a lot. So I know that like it's hard for them to have that same repetition of substitutions when you're facing an offense like this. But you have to adjust and you have to reduce how much you're substituting because the whole purpose of Tennessee's offense running with that tempo is to prevent you from substituting. But right. UTSA continue to try to do it and to put them in awful situations to try to defend against that offense. Right. Right. And and the rotation thing, you know, I mean, we we know that Trailer likes to do it continuously, but there's times where I think you can't do it as much as you want to whenever an offense is running that fast at you, mm-hmm. whenever a team is running that high a tempo. But, yeah, look, I mean, Tennessee's got the ball for 22 minutes, score 45 points. What What is the efficiency on that? Was that two points per minute of ball possession? Yeah, that's crazy. And, <laughs> and not only that, but... You know, there's moments where UTSA can have that quote unquote fight um, and and give you that hope to give you that silver lining that that you want to see from the team. There were opportunities that UTSA couldn't take advantage of. Right. You, you think about the messed up punt where a UTSA defender got a hand on Lucas Dean's punt. It goes up in the air for maybe about 15 yards. And then they make an error in trying to actually land on the possession of that ball instead of letting it bounce and roll utsa ends up with the possession after that i guess you can't call it a muffed punt but it's it's a yeah i don't i don't know if they scored that as a turnover or not yeah i'm not sure it it extended the drive and and it was their biggest play of the game up until that point right (laughs) and 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 granted jared after that the offense more or less gets going um you actually complete a few passes you get a couple of good runs you move the chains first down first down first down you actually get up to teetering on the red zone territory and on a fourth and three instead of kicking the field goal and putting it through the upright we try to go for it on fourth and three and we get completely stifled and uh i just think look i know you want to do you remember what the play call was on fourth and three yeah, it uh, was um, it was it was actually a decent play call. It was it was a pass. It was it was a pass. Okay, that was, was the the ELM pass into out. the end zone. Yeah, the ELM yeah. rollout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pass to the end zone, which the guy was kind of there, but he was covered pretty good. I'm not mad at the play call on that. 
But I'm yeah. mad at the decision to go for it on fourth. Oh, and I'm three. not, dude. You're, you're playing a ranked Tennessee and Nayland's. Yeah, you got to go for it. I'm, I'm but going you're not for getting, the touchdown every time, dude. I'm not getting anything going for you on offense. We're not. Whatsoever. Our conversation is not any different. It was 45 to 17, Adrian. We're going to say the same crap. No, maybe so. But does the offense get a, a, a little bit of momentum, a little bit of energy coming off of at least getting some points on the board? Now it's 14 to three. Um, and, and, and I don't know, a little bit know. of momentum. But I wasn't crazy about it. That wasn't the only one. And then and then Tennessee misses a field goal. I think we go three and out or four and out right after the missed field goal. And so we have a fake punt attempt, which is very, very close to, oh, to getting to a first man, down. That should, that should have been good. Not only should they have gotten the first, they should have got like an extra five We should have got that, a couple extra yards was that. massive, dude. It was oh. huge. It was huge. And yeah. so – there's there's opportunities there for UTSA, like give you that beacon of hope that we want, right? You talk about the UAV Georgia game to see that fight, mm-hmm. but we couldn't. Couldn't mm-hmm. capitalize it, couldn't make it happen. Whenever we got a couple of opportunities to at least give ourselves a little bit of self-respect uh, yeah. through that first half, couldn't happen, man. Couldn't yeah. happen. Well, I want to go back to what you were saying about like mindset. You just haven't seen this team play with a chip on their shoulder like they have something to prove. Right. There was a quote, I don't know if it was last year or the year before that from Jeff Trailer. It was something along the lines of like the 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 team that wins is gonna be the team that doesn't have the prosperous mindset, but they have the desperate mindset. Or I, I know that I bumbled that. Sure, that's not the yeah. actual quote, but it was something along those lines. Like that's why you see oh man, I almost dropped an F-bomb. <laughs> That's why <laughs> you see freaking Ryan Day go beat Notre Dame at Ohio State. And then on the field after the game, he's like talking crap to Lou Holtz about how, oh, like you didn't respect our team. And you see it with Georgia last year. Kirby Smart was like, no one believes in the Georgia Bulldogs. No one thinks we're going to win. It's like, who are these people? Like they're just making up um, doubters so they can play with that underdog mentality. And it's really dumb. I don't like that coaches feel like they have to do that to get their guys motivated to play. But that has been missing from this UTSA team. Like, you don't see them coming out like, we're going to shock the world. Feeling disrespected, that. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's why, like, I saw, like, a, a power ranking of AAC programs on Twitter this week, and they had UTSA at number eight. And I was like, thank God, because someone needs to directly tell this team that they're not that good right now. They should be number two, number three, number one, but they're not playing like it. And they're not playing like they want to prove people wrong. So that's no. one of the main things I want to see come out of Temple. Smack them in the mouth and show them what you're capable of. Because right now they seem to be okay with how they're performing. And that's not the mindset that they've showed in the past. They have bounced back from their losses really well in the past. And we did not see it against Tennessee this week. Whether or not you're a fan of bulleted board material, it works. And and it's always worked. It's it's something that get guys going. Look at look at the cinematic highlights from the Oregon and Colorado yeah. game. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Like there's the prosperous Colorado, like sitting at the top of their mountain, spitting down at Oregon. And there's Oregon and their head coach like enthralling these guys to be <laughs> furious and pissed off and disrespected. And and they beat the snot out of that team dude dude they shout out to the whole time baby dude dan lanning had one of the most fire quotes i've ever heard from a coach where he said that colorado is playing for cool for clicks we're clicks. playing for wins oh my damn gosh, son. man damn that's fire 
Go and then after the game, and then after the game, he said, who's our opponent next week? And they said, Oregon. And I was like, oh, it just kills me, man. Like, it's us versus <laughs> oh, us. That, that's so that's... true about UTSA, too. Look, I mean, obviously, Tennessee is a way better team. They're going to beat UTSA 90% of the time. But right, yes. UTSA beat UTSA more than Tennessee did. You know what I mean? And that's the same thing that happened against Houston. Yeah. That's the same thing that happened against Army, debatably. Army, debatable, right? I think Army. I, mean, I yeah. really think Army played like their best game of football. Army like, beat they, UTSA. They really must win. But the like, Houston, Houston game, for sure. Houston UTSA for sure. beat. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, bro. And oh, that's just a killer. It's just a killer. But yeah, I don't see that disrespect. I don't see that chip on the shoulder that this team has had over the last two, three years. It doesn't seem like they have it to prove anymore. And. This is a group of guys who's won back-to-back conference titles, Jared. I mean, a bunch of super seniors on the team. Do they feel like they need to prove anything else? Yeah. Um, yeah. Does Jeff Trailer need to start lighting some fire under some asses? Where is the line between loyalty and liability? Because arguably through this September, there's been a couple of these super senior guys that we're very, very loyal to have been a liability on the football mm-hmm. field. Mm-hmm. And it's a delicate line to toe because if you rip out one of those super senior guys, that's been the foundation of this program and it has built the culture, the ripple effects are a little bit of an unknown, right? So it's a risky thing to be like, we're going to bench this guy and put a freshman in, even if they're going to perform a little bit better. Sure. Because the locker room might go to crap. And maybe it's crap right now. I don't know. We're not in there. Right. But it, it, it's a tough Tough call to make. I mean, I really feel like a lot of these older players that are underperforming right now are going to turn the corner. And I think like this team's going to start clicking at some point in time. I just hope it's not too late because they, they need to start next week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're running out of time, drastically running out of time. We're yeah. almost to the midway point of the season. So it's just brutal, Jared. And and yes, you're correct. Look, Tennessee is going to beat UTSA every single time. It's one thing to get beat by a bigger, faster, stronger, better football team. But it's another thing entirely to not play your best football. Mm-hmm. We have not seen UTSA playing their best football. And it's coming yeah. from the super seniors. It's coming from, and I, I get it, we're injured, whatever. But yeah. the mentality. Don't matter, get better. It's got to be there, brother. Don't matter, get better. Where did that go? Where has that gone? I'll say this too. Moving to the AAC, the the days of getting these Power Five buy games and just showing up and collecting a check, that's got to go out the window. USF almost beat Bama. Mm. Memphis almost beat Missouri. Mm. UAB at least performed well against Georgia, right? And, and you know SMU, right? I know they're leaving the conference, but they went toe to toe with Oklahoma. They went toe to toe with TCU. That's got to be the expectation. You got to start know, showing up. You got to, I'm not saying you win all or even more than a handful of those, but you got to show that you're not that far off from they are. You got to show up. Look at how this, look at how this team played against UT last year. This exact same ball. Yeah, that's exactly like you get that performance in these games. No one's going to complain, right? You want to, you want to convert them and win at some point, but we went to Royal stadium and we punched the Longhorns in the mouth and we got a hell of a lot of respect for it. Right. But you didn't gain any respect from anybody after the Tennessee game, after the arm game, after the Houston game. In fact, you lost a lot of what you've spent so much time building up by way of local buy-in, by the way of national pundits talking about you on 
four-letter network mm-hmm. uh you know your 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 news anchor your weather guy telling people to get out to the alamo dome you know the the mayor taking selfie videos telling people to get out to the alamo dome utsa flag ain't flying on the tower life building anymore jared you know and it, it, dude you don't get that buy-in wait Adrian, is that true did, did you say that Th- theoretically or did they take it down they took it down for the American flag to fly on September 11th, but I do not think that they put it back afterward. (laughs) There's no, there's nobody pounding the table to get that UTSA flag back up there. What's the next home game? Is it UAB or ECU? Either way, they're probably not going to put the UTSA flag up for that game. Yeah, no, not at all. Not at all. And I don't know how many people are going to go to another Alodome game after the way that they've been playing. And whenever I say I don't know how many people, I mean, I don't know how many casual walk-up fans are going to go. Right. Yeah, obviously, game. anyone who listens to the podcast is not included we know in that there. figure. We it, know y'all be there. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's, it's those infamous UTSA t-shirt fans that we have so many. <laughs> um, a few more negatives on Tennessee. I'm going to talk a couple positives as well. But the run fits were really bad. Really, really bad. They were, I thought they were great against Houston and Texas state. But I mean, I saw against Tennessee, a lot of linebackers in the wrong hole linebacker and safety in the same hole linebacker, just getting obliterated on the block, not even trying to, to engage the defender and, and hold their position running around blocks. Just not, not that tough physical run defense that you have to have right to, to be a really strong football team. Um, saw a bit of that against, well, we saw a lot of that against army and I was kind of thinking, oh, you know, it's a one-off, you know, option offense, whatever. Um, and then it, it was just as bad against Tennessee. So really hope that gets cleaned up a lot. You know, obviously it hurts when you're going against SEC offensive line where they can get that push up front and that's expected. But, you know, still want to at least see guys playing the right responsibilities. And we we missed out on that a lot in Knoxville. Um, penalty-wise, only five penalties. But all five of them feel like they hurt Adrian. I mean, this team has awful timing. It's always on third and short when they have these penalties. Yeah. Oh, man. It's and all the penalties were ugly. All the penalties were ugly, like the bonehead penalties, if you will. Yeah. False start, illegal formation, um, illegal substitution, too many men on field. Like, come on. We're at the end of September, four games into the season. That stuff's got to be cleaned up. That stuff shouldn't exactly. even be happening, period. Exactly. Especially not five of them a game. I mean, these aren't like physical plays that we're getting penalties called on where a guy, you know, a guy's trying to guard a receiver with all of his mind and he, and he gets an arm in there too early or a guy's fighting at the line of scrimmage and he gets a hold called on him. No, these are mental bonehead slapstick penalties. Dude. Mm-hmm. And un- unforced too. Exactly that. It's one thing if, uh, you know, you're going against one of these Tennessee edge players that's already got seven sacks on the season, you get beat and you hold a guy to try to protect a quarterback. A little bit different than false start, uh, you know, legal formation, all that stuff, right? Exactly. That, yeah. Um, I guess we can kind of transition into the positives by discussing the play of the two quarterbacks. So, Eddie Lee Barberger had the first half and then Owen McCown took over in the second half. Mm-hmm. Pretty stark difference between them. You know, yep. Owen was amazing. But before we talk about Owen, let's talk a little bit about Eddie Lee's performance. Um, I thought he played pretty well against Army. Um, you sure. know, I was talking, you know, to Maddie, he's one of our Patreon supporters, and, you know, he pointed out that almost all of Eddie's yardage came on, like, three passes. 
I said, well, I mean, that's kind of the quarterback that he is. He's a pocket passer. He's going to try to stretch the ball vertically downfield. He's got a strong arm. But that just, it doesn't translate well when you're playing against Tennessee, where they're going to take away your first option every time. Mm-hmm. Um, your offensive line is going to get beat. You know, you got some probably borderline NFL pass rushers coming at you. Um, so, I mean, I think Eddie was really behind the eight ball in this game. His style of play is just not, not going to work against a team that's drastically more talented uh, that you're on offense. It's hard. Right. It's, it's it's hard. You know, I mean, he's swarmed before the ball even makes it to his hands off of the snap. Yeah. Yep. You know, he, he's, he's arguably got a defender getting to him at the same time the ball is getting to him, taking a snap out of shotgun. Like, mm-hmm. it's brutal. But the other thing that we haven't seen from Eddie is, I don't know if improvisation is the right word, but the ability yeah, yeah. to sort of turn something into nothing and something doesn't necessarily mean a positive play. It could just mean not taking the negative play. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Um, like Owen's first pass was like a shovel on a rollout, you know, like it, he was just trying to make it happen or, or he was a little bit more conscious about getting the ball out and getting it away, getting it out of the danger zone. I think Eddie kind of got a little bit better with throwing the ball away uh, as the game progressed. But that part of it is – it really, really sticks out whenever you're playing a, a defense so much more physical than you. Yeah, and I'll, I'll add to that as well that uh, – you know, I think the thing that Eddie needs to develop the most right now is working past that first option on the play call, right? Mm-hmm. So typically when you get a passing play called, you have like three routes or whatever, and then you have like one route that's your primary, that's your first look. And then if it's not open, you work down your progressions to see, okay, is the second route open? Is this third route open? If not, do I throw it away, run for it, whatever. Eddie like really hones in on that first option. And he stares at that receiver a bit too long. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's rare for him to work down the second, third option. Um, and, and like you said, he's not really doing the improvis- improvisation. Improvisation. Mm-hmm. Improv. I'm not editing this, by the way. <laughs> improvisation i don't know whatever um to go kind of off the script of the play call right and i think that's why owen kind of excelled right is because like his play style is more like that so when tennessee was taking away those options he was just finding a way to kind of pull a rabbit out of his hat so to speak and and make uh, lemonade out of lemons but that's just not really any of strength right I, I think like in a game where utsa has control the trenches You've got NFL receiver like J.T. Clark getting open. I think Eddie's going to shine in those scenarios, but just wasn't wasn't the case against Tennessee, right? And and it might prove to be that he's a little bit one dimensional in that regard. Mm-hmm. Until he does develop those aspects to his game, I think it's fair to say, with what we've seen over the small sample size of two games. But right, Owen McGowan. Well, yeah, so about Owen. What what a debut, man. Um, you take maybe your, the best, maybe the best. Yeah, yeah, maybe the best freaking first college snaps a quarterback could ever have. Period. I mean, you're talking about you're in Knoxville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. You come into the second half down thirty-one to zero. <laughs> I think guy, that helps though. Like you got nothing to lose at that point. <laughs> you got nothing to lose, sure, but yeah. it's still a hostile environment, and they're just yeah, your yeah. Ass. 10 ways to Sunday. And this dude 
completes his first 10 passes. He goes 10 for 10 with 119 yards and two touchdowns. He also, Jared, could throw the ball a thing of beauty. Mm -hmm. In the same regard that we've seen Eddie Lee throw some really, really pretty passes, O'Neal was throwing some really pretty passes. Yeah, he had a cross-field sideline throw to Josh between like three receivers that was gorgeous. Maybe maybe the best throw we've seen from a UTC quarterback this season. I thought his vision was tremendous. His ability to react to what was happening into the pocket, the collapse of the pocket was tremendous. And the fact that he just looked completely unwavered, unshaken when everything did go wrong, um, he really had that next play mentality as well. Mm-hmm. Let's get back to the line of scrimmage. Let's go back to work. Yeah, I think him having those four games of starting experience in a Power 5 conference helped him a lot. The speed of that SEC defense didn't uh, catch him off guard. You know what I'm saying? Because he, he's seen so much of it already. Right. And there goes the chip on the shoulder thing too, maybe. Right? Is a guy who gets dismissed maybe. from Colorado and he comes to UTSA. and Maybe, yeah. Now he feels like he's got something to prove and, and here he is on a big stage to do it. Let people know I'm I'm here. I'm still here. But Jared, all things considered, and I don't know how much of the second string was playing against Owen McGowan versus starters, right? Where Eddie well, his, his, many his of the starters. First, I think it's touchdown drives. They've had the ones in for the most part. I think. I don't know. But it's still 31 to 0, 31 to 7, though. So they're not, not running as hard. hard. They're not running right. as fast. Yeah. Sure. I mean, you, you definitely have to create it on a curve for sure. But you have to look at like what was his decision making like as a quarterback? Did he make the right reads? Yes. Did he break off a play when it needed to be broken off? Yes. Did he avoid yes. turnovers? Yes, until one of them. Um, but overall, really strong. Only he reason even I hesitated slid on a backfield scramble. He even slid, hit the ground to avoid anything too dangerous happening. Oh man, Frank should learn from that, dude. I was <laughs> like, he could slide. He could. This guy does it all. This guy That's does funny. it all. Yeah, uh, I, dude. I feel like growing up in Rusk, Texas, you got to be playing baseball as well. I feel like he knows how to slide. Sure. Um, I hesitated when I said maybe the best debut because I went before we recorded. I went back and looked at Frank Harris's debut. He threw for like three sixty eight his first game. Sure. You got to give him the nod. But to be second behind Frank is pretty good, man. Pretty good. Well, all things considered, if 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 we look at it, and, and sure, we can take the curve into consideration. But what you just said about the reads, how he was apro- approaching the game mentally, it felt like Owen McGowan is the better quarterback out of him and Eddie Lee Marburger. It felt like Owen is the right number two, is the right backup to Frank Harris. Is that fair? I think so. It It's really tough to judge snapshot, you know, one half the start of the game versus one half the end when the game's already over. But I, I, I've been a huge proponent of Owen. Like, I really thought that he was going to win that QB2 spot as soon as he transferred in. You know, I thought his performances at Colorado were very impressive. That was a really, really bad team and a god-awful offensive line that he's playing behind. And he kept games close. He He played well. Um, at the power five level. So, you know, I, I've always kind of expected Owen to emerge as that next guy up. Right. Uh, but Eddie, Eddie surprised me in a positive way as well. You know, I'm not going to dismiss uh, his army performance because of the Tennessee game. Right. Just like I said earlier, it's, it was not his game to play in and to compete in. Right. 
but I think either way, you know, regardless of, of who gets the next snap, if Frank doesn't go, you know, in any given play, um, I think you got to feel a lot better about this quarterback position throughout the rest of the year and into the future. As well. you know, and I think yeah. both guys have shown that they can, they can compete and, and play at a winnable level against FBS competition. And don't take that for granted guys. Cause if, if you're a fan that has been around this program for a while, there have been very few years that you could say that about a UTSA football team that we would even have a second quarterback that we feel confident that could win an FBS football game. And now we got three of them. So I'm just really grateful of both guys. That's a great point. There's depth in the quarterback room for the first time, maybe ever. I'll say this about Owen as well. That offense just looks so much faster and crisper with him at the helm. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because he goes to those reads so fast and he gets that ball out quick, right? He's not sitting in the pocket, shuffling his feet. You know, is this guy open? No. Is that guy open? Yes. Go. It's just, it had a, a level of Christmas to crispness, almost at Christmas uh, to it that we haven't seen all year long because even Frank in that Houston game, uh, when he was like quasi healthy, he wasn't going through his reads that fast. He was still really rusty. Oh, sharpest that we've seen in the offense all, all season, that first half yeah. or that second half of Tennessee. Yeah, it is the sharpest that we've seen them all season. Um, and and they were moving, they had momentum rolling, they were they were in the flow, in the flow state, right? Mm, I like that. And, and the defense, even I think, was a little bit sharper in in be, due to the inertia that the offense that they were feeding off of from the offensive play. And so Jared is the outcome of the army game and maybe not necessarily in the winner loss column, but in, in UTSA's offensive performance column, is that different? If Owen is starting? Yeah, that's a great question. Great question. I don't know. If you ask me, I think Owen McGowan's got to be the backup quarterback going forward. Mm-hmm. I think he earned that right on the football field. Yeah. Yep. I, I, I mean, I'm not going to argue against you because I mean, like I said, like that's just what I thought would happen all year long. But if they stick with Eddie, I'm also not going to be surprised. I mean, like we said earlier, they're, they're very loyal to their guys. They're going to give guys a million one opportunities to, to prove themselves. Right. So we'll see how it plays out, but I'm just, I'm just glad that both guys are serviceable. Some other positives that I saw. Some of these are stretch. My film breakdown, I gave a game ball to the kickoff coverage team. You know how bad you got to get beat for me to give a game ball to the kickoff coverage team when you only scored two touchdowns? You only had three kickoffs? Yeah, man, that hurt. I thought the play calling was a little bit better, honestly. I, I like, I know that Twitter's not saying that because they're only going to look at the 14 points. They're only going to look at the however few yardage it was, whatever. Um, but I thought the play calls were better. I, the fourth and three play call that you mentioned, I, the great play design. Eddie had Josh Hebas wide open for the first down. Wide open. He missed mm. him. He threw for the touchdown. Yeah. Um, yep. Yes. You know, Tyke wasn't the main target on that one, but he was a little bit more open uh, than Houston Thomas was. Yeah, right? Houston so Thomas. Was like, out, of the, out of the three options, Eddie threw to like the least open one. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I love that play call. But overall, what was most encouraging to me is I saw them use the middle of the field a lot more. I mean, we just had that big rant last week on the podcast about how they're not using the middle of the field. Um, And there's a lot more of it. You know, even when the ball didn't go there, they were still forcing Tennessee to defend that. They still were making their safeties not play, you know, on the hashes and bring them inside to the middle of the field a little bit more. Uh, We saw a quick slant. Oh, my God, there's a 
all it was almost first down. I was like one yard short, but they sent like I think Amador from the slot in on a quick slant, and then Willie McCoy was a little bit out of him as a flanker, and he also went on the quick slant and easy nine yards, just pitch and catch. And I was like, God damn, this is what our offense looks like the past two years. It was easy. Yeah. It was easy. Yeah. And it's like, yes, man, just turn I it up, field baby. Yeah. Yeah. So when they ran that play, I was just like crying tears of joy, mm. tears of joy. It's a beautiful thing. Um, tight ends were fairly involved as well. I like the post route to the middle field. That's what Tyke scored on. Um, I think they called it a glance route on an RPO. Like if the linebacker doesn't respect it, you throw it there or whatever. Uh, and Tyke cut the field. Now that was another positive too. How cool for Tyke to score a touchdown in Nayland Stadium, like where he probably dreamed of playing when he was a kid. Uh, what what a special moment for him. And like they said, I thought it kind of went under the radar a little bit. Went to high school at 20 minutes away from there. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's nuts. Like, literally down the street, man. I know. Yeah. That's I thought like, he was like closer to Memphis or something. Yeah. yeah. That was cool. Uh, other positives. I'm kind of running through these because, you know, classic Alamo audible fashion. We're like talking about our plan for the episode. And we're like, Oh yeah, we'll, we'll tear right through this uh, recap. There's not much to talk about. we got our ass kicked. And then here we are 41 minutes later. <laughs> um, Robert Henry continues to shine, man. Got a nice stable of running backs. Yes. He's explosive. He's elusive. I was really wrong on, on Henry. I didn't think that he was going to be much of a factor in the running back position. Um, I didn't like his film that much. Just like all of his plays, like either he was like irresponsible, <laughs> uh, like bouncing it outside, or he was just like a wide open hole. And, and so, like, I just I wasn't sure how his skill set was going to translate to the next level. And he's he's been tremendous, man. So look great, uh, huge great. weapon on the offense. Yeah, keep 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 running the hot back, you know for sure. You know, yes. Rocco Griffin's got his. Kavorian's had his time. Um, Henry's getting his. I, I love it, man. As long as those guys have a good relationship with each other, keep it rolling, man. I love that. 4.3 yards per carry for Robert Henry. Yep. Excellent stuff. Not a whole lot of positives on the defensive side. Obviously, when you give it 45 yards and like what, probably like five plays, you get like half that yardage or, you know, half of the, the points. But I was encouraged that they were still able to get some pass rush pressure against an SEC offensive line. I, I know Tennessee's pass protection's not been the best in the SEC by any means, but it's still cool to see them, you know, forcing Joe Milton to escape out of the pocket. Um, they forced a fumble on Milton that unfortunately weren't able, UTSA was not able to recover, right. um, but that was great to see. I mean, if they can get pocket pressure against Tennessee, they're going to be able to get pocket pressure against pretty much anyone. Um, and then specifically Brandon Matterson had a baller game, dude. Yeah. Baller. It's hard to see because he plays that, you know, interior defensive line position, uh, but he was shooting the gap. You know, I think he had that sack on that uh, fumble from Milton. Mm-hmm. Um you know, he was unblockable for periods of a time and he just played like an absolute animal, like playing with his hair on fire, as they say. And it's a shame that, I mean, that's one of the best efforts that we've seen from any UTSA player this season. Shame it was kind of wasted in a, in a blowout like this, but um, hopefully a good sign of things to come for that defensive line. And also a reminder of how deep and how talented that defensive line is when, you know, a guy like Brandon Madison, who doesn't get all the spotlight and media attention or whatever, um, is the guy who has that massive game. And and you just know that that could be anyone on that defensive line. So that that was super encouraging to me. Uh, one for me is, well, you can't grade his blocking very well because we were going up against Tennessee defense. But as far as catching the ball and being a little bit more involved with the offensive playmaking, Oscar Cardenas played a much better game. 
catching the ball and getting a couple yards with his feet, just a little bit, just a little bit, but it was a, it was an improvement for what we've seen so far from him. He really needs to turn the corner over to turn the corner, man. That's, that's a huge part of the offense that's missing. UTSA runs for personnel so much, and Oscar's just not been the same. He's part of our identity, man. He's part of he, the identity of this team, the fabric really is, of what man. makes this offense so good. And uh, he's got to get back to being that elite-level tight end playmaker that he has been the last two seasons. Yeah, he missed a lot of blocks and didn't finish a lot of blocks against Tennessee. We've seen that all season long. I keep saying it. I don't know what's going on. I know he's better than this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he was, he was better in the Tennessee game that he has been this season. So he was to, better. He was yeah, better. Things to come. So, and, you know, I was going to say this earlier. I feel like he's maybe one of the guys who's playing through injury right now. I, don't I know, think that's fair. No, I, I really it, think it's fair, man. I really think it's fair. And and this is a guy that's got the same size as, as a lot of those Tennessee boys yeah, do. You sure. know what I'm saying? Um, yep. And so, you know, he's, he's got the strength. He's got the ability to do so, but you know, he's just been so uncharacteristically um, poor playing poorly over September that, yeah, I, I think he's he's probably got some tweaks he needs to get over over the next two weeks. Yeah, well said. All right, well, I'm going to do some Patreon shout-outs. We'll take a Kumbia break, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the overall state of this team, some of the zoom trends out. we've seen. Zoomed out review of this first third of the season. So thank you to our two new subscribers this week, Stuart Saunders at the Insider Tier and Javon Townsend at the Board of Trustees Tiers. Tears, man, I am like mispronouncing a lot of stuff on this episode. What's up with that? I don't know. Uh, and thank you to all of our board of trustees members. Um, we have a Patreon summit coming up this Wednesday. Uh, mm. so you guys will probably be listening to this day of the summit, like probably like 75% of our downloads are on the day after we record the day we release. So that will be Wednesday. If you've never done a Patreon summit before, they're a lot of fun. Uh, if you're booster tier and above on Patreon, you get an invite to join our live. It's like a virtual happy hour kind of deal. We'll be having that at 8 o'clock, and we just kind of get to know everyone, shoot the breeze. You can ask us questions. It's like mailbag format. Uh, but we particularly want to hear from people that traveled to Knoxville. Uh, I know Aaron is going to join us and share his mm-hmm. experience of traveling to Nashville and Knoxville. Um, so, yeah, if you're able to, please join. If not, if you're a Patreon subscriber, we do post the recording afterwards. So thank you to our board of trustees members for making that possible. That includes John Alwell, Lino Perez of Los Dos Rowdy Tailgating, Gary and Ruben represented the UTSA Bird Gang Tailgate, Ray Redding at Meet Me Apparel, Brandon Grill and the Grail Realty Group, Andy Elizada for Fish and Benefit Solutions, Ian McClendon and Seeker LLC, Brandon Patron, Ryan Squares, and Waterman Construction. All right, guys, we'll leave you with a quick Kumbi break, and we'll be back to uh, dig into this uh, less than stellar start to the season. Adrian, it never fails to amaze me how many times we say like a certain part of a podcast or a po- podcast in its entirety is going to be on the short end and then we get a recording and it's the complete opposite. I don't know. And and the crazier part is, is like, I've been keeping everything holstered for us to get to this segment. <laughs> Jared was like, hey. Wah, wah, wah.
literally, literally, when we're when we're going through our prep, Jared said, "Hey, get, try to try to check yourself during the game recap because we're going to talk about September as a whole, and that's where you can kind of let it go." And I was like, mm. "Okay, you did yeah. a good job." You did. A, I mean, I there were a lot of times I knew that you really wanted to let the steam blow, and I feel like you kept it in. But I think this is more appropriate because a lot of the issues that we saw against Tennessee are September long issues. Yeah. And maybe not even just this September, but every September underneath Jeff Trailer. And so it's fitting that we're having this zoomed out look. And it's also fitting that we're having a bye week. I'm so damn happy that we're having a bye week because I don't think I can stomach watching UTSA play football this Saturday. I don't think I can watch this team for the fifth Saturday in a row put the product on the field that they have been putting onto the field for this last month. Wake me up when September ends for the love of God. Wake me up when September ends, dude, after these four games, it's been apparent that there are bigger issues than just the discrepancies that we've seen on the field. Okay. This team mentally, it's not strong. It's not sound. We continue to have, Boneheaded penalties for illegal substitutions, illegal formations, too many men on the field, um, false starts. We have to waste timeouts pre-snap because we're not prepared. Guys don't know what the hell is going on whenever we get up to the line of scrimmage. We have senior safeties celebrating a broken up pass after giving up four touchdowns in 20 minutes. We have a senior quarterback in his feelings on Twitter about fake fans after games that he hasn't even played in. We have a talking head at head coach who is at a loss for words. And who also maybe got the backup quarterback decision completely wrong to start this game, to start Mm -hmm. this season. I, I, I just can't understand how, we're playing such boneheaded football, such slow, dull football through the month of September. It it really is hard for me to fathom. And dude, we're seeing guys get off the plane or get onto the plane in Knoxville with gallon sized Ziploc bags filled with Skittles, Starbursts, M&Ms, Queso Ruffles, like there wasn't even a damn yo, nature yo, valley don't, bar. don't bring the case of ruffles into this dog. That's there wasn't even a nature valley bar in there, bro. Like the cheap, cheap, like the hard ones, like the brick nature valley bars that you can Did you have those, dude? It is just straight Halloween trick-or-treat candy by the gallon-sized Ziploc bag worth to go play an SEC team. Like what the hell is going on? These guys, we, we keep getting injured every single September under trailer. I don't think it's just nutrition. I also think it's conditioning because these guys look slow in September. They don't look ready to play. And we're not mentally sharp. We're not mentally locked in. Like this whole taking it easy at practice thing, I think really wears down on this team through the first leg of the season because we're not ready for game speed until we play a couple of games when we should be ready for game speed week one game one 15 minutes in the first quarter 
we should be ready for game speed. And we're not, we're not after four, after 16 quarters of play, we're still not ready for game speed. Yeah, I knew that he had a lot pent up and I was still surprised how hard he came. That was impressive, impressive rant. Deep sigh. I think for me, well, okay, let me list out a, a, a few observations that I want to share. Last year, this team averaged 36.7 points per game. Yes. Averaged, right? So half of the games are higher than 37 a game. They haven't even broken 30 points per game once this year. Mm-mm. Not one time. They're second to last in the country in turnover margin at negative seven. We're a third of the way through the year, and they haven't caused a single defensive turnover. I know luck has a lot to do with turnovers, but they're not putting defenses in situations where they're going to get lucky. That sack against Joe Milton, that's the one of the first times maybe – Oh, and then when Rashad didn't grab that easy pick six. I mean, th- those two plays, like you're putting the offense in a position where they could do something stupid and cause a turnover. That's that's almost it, man. It's been super, super rare. Pass protection has been terrible. This team has two offensive line coaches, and they're one of the worst teams in the country when it comes to pass blocking. It's really bad. Thankfully, UTS's quarterbacks avoid sacks. So I don't think people really notice how bad it is, but there are so many times a blitzer comes in unmarked. And and part of that is because they've had to shuffle the offensive line so much because of the injury, right? You got Ernesto starting a center, moving out to right tackle. You got Luke LePay's coming in a center, you know, moving guys all around the offense. And all these causes are all related to each other. Everything that you said at the top, they all feed off of each other, right? Um, Yep. But I want people to remember the injuries at the offensive line last year were even worse. Frankie Martinez started against the University of Texas Longhorns. And the pass protection was better than this. Mm. Mm. And some of the players on this starting offensive line played better last year. Right? So what's changed? Coaching? That's got to get cleaned up. A lot of work. I mean, they need to get the guys healthy. Right? Getting Cruz back. I know Hart's coming back later this year, hopefully. They need, I think Demetrius Allen has been out. I mean, they, they need guys back for sure. But they've got to do better with what they have, man. They they really do. And there's just no excuse to leave guys unblocked. They're putting the running backs in awful situations. These poor running backs are getting thrown around like rag dolls because they're not getting a chip at the line of scrimmage. And they're letting a 290-pound defensive lineman run straight at a 180-pound running back mm-hmm. with a full head of steam. Part of that scheme too, the max protect that they've been doing because they don't trust the offensive linemen, so they put a tight end and a running back out there to block, and those guys can't block either. So then you got majority of the offense blocking, and no one actually blocks. The receivers can't get open. I mean, God, man, it's it's a, there's a lot that's a mess, and I don't know how much you can clean up with one bye week. I'm glad the bye week is here, and I, I know this team's gonna look better, but. It's not <laughs> they they need two, three weeks on a bye week, I think. You know? Seriously. Seriously. No, man. Yeah, from from a from a team that scored 37 points per game to a team that is only scoring 19 points per game right now. From you know, converting nearly 50% of your third down conversions. We're only converting 44% right now. This offense is only yielding uh five yards per play as opposed to about six and a half last year. 
I mean, just all the metrics across the board um, are significantly down. And I, I really, really don't want to hear the argument of strength of schedule because it, it really is a load of crap to me at this point. I know that Army team was extremely tough, and, but you beat them last year. And Houston was a bad team. A completely different offense. Houston is a bad football team. And Texas State, you barely beat Texas State. You beat Texas State by one single touchdown. They are a trip receiver away from being 0-4 right now. These are facts. Nevada, Nevada almost beat Texas State last week. They're one of the worst teams in the country. In the country. Texas State's very much improved, but they are not a juggernaut. If UTSA fancies themselves as a top of the G5 team, they need to be winning those kind of games easily. Correct. Correct. You have to handily beat a Texas State. And if you want to be one of the top G5 teams in the country, you have to beat the other teams that want to be the top G5 teams in the country. Mm -hmm. That's Army. And well, I guess you can't say that about Houston anymore, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. It's bad. Let's 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 talk about play calling a little bit. It's been a hot topic. I'll say I think some of those some of the criticism is is maybe a little bit heavy handed, maybe a little bit overboard. Because when I go back and I rewatch the game, obviously when I'm watching live, I'm like, oh, these play calls suck. No one's no one's catching the ball. No one's scoring the touchdowns. And then I go back and rewatch. It's like okay, like the play call wasn't that bad. The execution was poor, or the defense made a great play, whatever. But it is clear at this point that Justin Burke is a big downgrade from Barry Looney and Will sure. Stein. Sure. He might still be good enough for this team to be really good and have a good offense, but they're going to have to work that much harder to get there. Obviously having all the injuries they've had doesn't help, but it's like the offense is very slow, I think to respond and to react to what the defense is showing them. Um, one thing that, Adrian, you pointed this out, and then I got curious. I went and pulled some data on it. UTSA is throwing way more screen passes this year than they did last year. They're they're up 63% compared to last year on screen passes. That's not and, just a little bit more. That is no. a hell of a lot more. 63% more screen passes right. than 2022. And they're not really building off of the screen passes. Like You're not seeing like a fake screen get up the field, chuck uh, it deep. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. That I mean that I don't I don't have the the numbers to be like, you know, what team in the country throws the most screens, but I, I feel like UTSA has got to at least be in the top 5, top 10. That's a crazy high number. And they're not yielding any results for this team. There's been a couple of no. screen passes where the blockers have been in place, but they haven't gotten the blocks off. And then there's some where they haven't been in place at all. You're yeah, not and that's what I, that's another results. thing I was going to say. I I don't necessarily have a problem though running a lot of screens. Because the screen was really strong for UTSA last year. The blocking from the receivers has not been as good. And the blocking from the mm-hmm. tight ends as well. Right. Uh, there, there have been some screens where Oscar just completely missed his block. And the receiver got killed. No gain on the play. So that's the part that has been frustrating me. But then it's like, do you blame the coaching on that? Do you blame the players? 63% more? I yeah, it's an anomaly. Point. I think you got a point at the coaching a little bit more than that. And it goes back the, the to whole your... the whole point of promoting Justin Burke without doing an external search for a qualified outside candidate is to run the same offense that you did the past two years that won you back to back conference championships. This is not the same offense. 
the bones are the same, the structure is the same, but the tendencies are different. The results are different. This goes back to my argument, Jared. Where is that line between loyalty versus liability? And Heard. Jeff Trailer has been so devoutedly loyal to his players, to his coaching staff, promoting from within, keeping guys on the roster, getting guys their minutes. But brother, this is a team that has got to not just win now, but also start building for 2024, 2025, and having a run in the AAC where you don't just fall off a cliff after 2023. We're seeing the cliff come now. We're seeing the cliff right here. You could argue we've only got one hand on the ledge. Dude, I, I was going to say that that might be the silver lining of the season. You know, if UTSA comes out of the bye week, they're healthier, they play better, they go beat Temple, they go on a nice run in AAC play, whether they get to the championship game or not. And they went through these growing pains of these first four games. I think you kind of hedge off that cliff that you, you thought was coming in 2024 and you mm -hmm. kind of prep yourself for the future this year. So that is something I've had in the back of my mind. We got to see how the rest of the season plays out. You know, I think Burke can turn it around. I, I'm not like, you know, hashtag fire Justin Burke or, or anything like that. I don't, I don't, sure. I think people are like that on Twitter. Um, I don't think the play calling has been a total disaster. It's just like the execution has been sloppy. The preparation has not been the best. I wonder if if Trailer is going to take a more hands-on approach with the offense, right? Because he is an offensive guy. He has been in the trenches designing, implementing this offense with the past two offensive coordinators. Um, and, you know, I thought the play calling looked a, little, looked a little different in the second half. I'm not saying that Trailer was, like, calling the plays or whatever, but I feel like he may, may be starting to give more input, uh, not only into game planning, but also play calling within – the game on the headset. And I don't think that's a bad thing because Justin Burke's a first time offensive coordinator. When you have an experienced offensive mind as a head coach, it's good to help them and work together and lean on them. So I think this offense can turn the corner. Obviously getting healthy is the most important thing, but it is what it is at this point. You know Correct what I'm saying? Correct me if I'm wrong. Barry Looney called plays from the press box. Will Stein called them from the sideline. I think so. And, and Justin, Justin Burke, Burke is calling from the sideline. Yes, correct. Some point, does he need to go upstairs, get a better field of vision? And, you know, Looney and Stein were also the quarterback's coach. So they were like, we like to be on the field because we can go talk to Frank and yeah, calm coach him down. Him, right. Uh -huh. Coach him up, right? Burke is a tight ends coach. I, I don't know if the tight ends need that intense level of coaching on the right. sideline. Right. Right. So I think that's a great point. I mean, I, I would be curious to see what it would look like if Burke was up in the booth calling plays from there through the headset. And if that changes anything for the offense, it, you, you got to try something right. The, the results have not been there. Shake it up a little bit. See how that changes things. Yeah. Yeah. And with him being a first time play caller, Maybe he does that for the rest of his career, you know, but he hasn't had that chance, right, to call plays from up there. He's got to go up there and 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 maybe that, you know, he's able to self-critique a little bit better, a little yeah. bit more comprehensively with seeing maybe. a lot more than what he can see from the sideline, for sure. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a good idea to give it a shot. You have to at this point. Man. Defense. Defense is weird. They look so good the first two weeks and look like total crap 
the last two. I don't know what to make of that defense. It's strange. It's really, really strange. You know, they were really, really good at stopping during those first two weeks, mm-hmm. but they weren't hellraisers. They didn't get you any turnovers. Still haven't got you any turnovers. Yeah. yeah. We weren't pummeling Texas State how we were a la Marcus Davenport 2018-2017 year when we went to Bobcat Stadium and just just a sack every single other play, right? Yeah. The, I haven't seen them manhandling any opponents. We've been keeping guys at bay, minus Army and Tennessee, but we kept Houston, we kept Texas State at bay. Yeah. And now when you're seeing those teams after a couple more games, their, their offenses really aren't that great. So, so what's Texas that State's offense is still really Texas great. State, Texas State's offense yeah, is good. We'll, we'll, we'll give them credit. But Houston, but Houston doesn't deserve Houston, so much. No. No, no, not at all. So <clears throat> how good was the defense against Houston? Houston just wasn't very good on offense at all. Another thing I've been thinking about, the dam is going to break for turnovers at some point. <clears throat> they tend to come in bunches and there's momentum. We saw that last year with UTSA. They had a long dry stretch. Um, and then those past couple of games, they were getting like three or four game or whatever. So like, let, let's, let's assume that the dam busts open and this defense starts generating a lot of turnovers. Like, are they still playing well enough to where, like, just the standard play snap by snap is, is going to be adequate? Mm-hmm. They definitely were the first two weeks, but they weren't against Tennessee and Army. I don't I, just, I don't know what to think about them. I'll say this, though. So, you just had 15 interceptions last year. They recovered seven fumbles. So, that's 22 turnovers. If UTSA were to have 22 turnovers this season through eight games, they're going undefeated, mm-hmm. baby. In three games. Obviously, they're not, but I think you can kind of see my point that even if they get half of those 22 turnovers, you know, they're getting multiple turnovers per game the rest right. of the way. Right. And even if UTSA ends up worst in the country and, and turnovers generated, um, they're still going to end up getting enough throughout these next eight games. Statistically, you know, rule of averages or whatever, law of averages, they're going to get some help. But there's still a lot to clean up there. Tackling has been god awful, right, man. You know, man? Exactly that. Exactly that. And 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 the fumbles come as a result of good tackling. Yeah, gang hard hit pursuit, wrapping yeah. up pursuit, absolutely getting low. And if the tackling doesn't get better, the fumble percentages aren't going to get any better, right? And the same could be said about interceptions, only not tackling, but coverage. And there's been a hell of a lot of wide open receivers for UTSA's opponents this season. And so if covering the receivers doesn't get better, interceptions isn't going to get better. Mm-hmm. You got to put yourself in the place to get those turnovers. And UTSA right. is not doing 100%, 100%. it. 100%. 100%. Yeah. I mean, quality of play leads to turnovers because you put stress in the offense and they make a mistake, right? I feel like that should have happened the first two games and it didn't. And that's kind of what's um, so dejecting about it. But I, I mean, I, I think they'll be all right overall. It's still a really talented defense for sure, but there's some good offenses in the AC. I mean, look at USF and UAB are, are two games that I think most people wrote off as easy wins. Um, and both of those offenses look great this year. They're putting up points, moving the ball really well. So the, you're going to have to get turnovers in those games, I think. Oh, yeah. You bet your ass you're going to have to. Uh, I think there's a couple games on the schedule that were perceived as scary that are now pretty damn scary. 
Yeah, I mean, because UTS is averaging 20 points a game or whatever. If they're averaging 35, <laughs> it wouldn't be scary. <laughs> but, you know, I, I look at um, I look at a game against Rice. Yeah, if JT Daniels is healthy. I look at a game against USF. And just based off the way that we're trending, I look at a game against ECU. Kind of scarcely. Now the game's at home. I'm not going to go that far personally. <laughs> we got to we got to fix stuff. But here. I mean, the way that UTC is playing right now, they can get upset by anyone, man. Because just like we said at the top of the podcast, for sure, they're not getting beat by other teams so much as they're beating themselves, right? And, and when you play like that, any team can get the win. I mean, just look at how many FCS upsets there are. Those FCS teams are not better, quote unquote, than the FBS team. It's just the FBS team is playing with their food. You know, they're, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. goofing around out there, not not playing tough, not playing hard, not playing smart. And, you know, it, it doesn't take a whole lot to spring an upset in the game of football fewer uh, when mistakes. one team is not locked in. Right. Right. The team that makes a fewer mistakes, a lot of time it gets to win the football yeah. game. Yeah. Well, uh, we're halfway through the bye week. What do you think needs the most work on this team from like a schematic development coaching standpoint? that they can hopefully address this week? Gosh. You know, in a short time span, I mean, yeah, you got a week and a half. You got two weeks, but mm-hmm. tackling's got to improve. I feel like general mind state going yeah. into game day is is the one tangible that can be drastically improved upon is, is the mental resharpening of this team mm-hmm. to eliminate bonehead penalties, poor mistakes, and to improve or create some intensity, some fire from this team. Play with some hunger, man. Play with some freaking hunger. Um, So, yeah, schematically, I would say uh, your, your coverage – um, on 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 open field tackles, open field tackling. I'm gonna get really specific with mine. UTSA has an an aw- of course. UTSA has an awful problem with max protect plays right now. For those who don't know, when I say max protect, that means like you're keeping both a tight end and a running back running back into block on a true pass play. And sometimes maybe you have two running backs. Sometimes you have two tight ends. Like whatever personnel scheme you're in. UTSA success rate on those plays is god awful. Like I feel like the majority of the sacks they've given up this year have been in those max protect plays, which is ironic because the whole point of why you call max protect is to prevent against the sack. Right, it's in the name, right? Max protection. It has been the exact opposite for UTSA. It's been an absolute drive killer for them. Uh, That was the the game losing play against Army was they gave up a sack and and max protect. Um, So either scrap it change the personnel just get better at it but whatever they're doing right now is not working and it it is really hampering this offense killing drives so it's either i don't want to see another max tech play call or just execute it better because those are those are supposed to be your big plays like your big explosive plays too and they turn into big negative plays for utsa Mm. yeah it's tough Mm. But I do wonder, you know, if Frank is healthy or you got Owen, maybe you don't need to call those plays so much because you have a mobile quarterback. 
something to chew on. Sure. Yeah. I think Owen's got to be the backup coming out of the bye week. Health wise, what are we thinking? I think JT's back for sure. That, JT's I, back that for one sure. I'm locking in. JT's back for sure. Um, I think you have a lot of pressure to get Frank out there internally. I think I think the the staff feels, I think Jeff Taylor feels the pressure to get Frank back there after a one and three start. I don't I'm, know that I'm it's also... totally necessary to to force him into the game. I, yeah. I do think if you have JT Clark playing and you get, you know, uh, a Ben Rios back, you get a Buffalo Cruz in there at offensive line. I think Owen McGowan can go to Philadelphia and beat Temple. Mm-hmm. I, I'm scared of what it might do to not only Frank's mental, but to the whole team's mental. If you rush Frank back before he's maybe necessarily ready and he has another performance like Houston. That that could be a season killer to me right there. So that's I'm so glad you brought that up, man, because that's what really, really scares me. When 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 I see, you know, Frank Harris all pissed off on Twitter and he hasn't been able to get in the game. It makes me very fearful of him wanting to go Superman mode. Yeah. Like we'll see him do after he throws an interception or, mm-hmm. or makes a mistake mm-hmm. mid game. He'll come out the next drive and feel like he has to do absolutely everything. And he ends mm-hmm. up doing things that are dangerous, throwing yeah. the ball or running and dropping his shoulder directly into defenders. Um, whether it's dangerous for the roadrunners offensive possession or dangerous to his own health, he does mm-hmm. dangerous things whenever he gets into that situation. Feels like he has to be a Superman. And I'm very, very fearful fearful that Frank feels like he has to be Superman coming out of the bye week and that he's got to lead this team to victory in the American athletic conference. And that could lead to very poor decision-making and um, reckless, a little bit of reckless offensive play from him. I think he at least needs a good week of practice before you put him back as the full-time starter. And, you know, you're fortunate enough to, have a chance to go and beat Temple. If you can get those key pieces back, if you can get a JT Clark back and a and a, a Buffalo Cruz, a Ben Rios, and yeah, it, you know, I forgot to back up to Payne Hebert has been out as well. That's another you know key contributor on the offensive line. Ogundipe, you get a Payne Hebert, yeah. and 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 you let O McGowan back up and throw the ball twenty two times, and you let your trio of running backs just go to work against Temple, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily have to force Frank Harris into that game. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I don't know if if we're ready to handle that internal pressure of, of and, and making the smart decision, because I know Jeff Trailer is feeling all sorts of pissed off and fiery. Mm-hmm. And he's feeling the fire under his ass to turn this thing around for his guys. And he wants Frank Harris in there. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I just know that Jeff feels terrible right now. Like, all the stumping that he's done for all the support, getting that big $2 million donation, and the team has been so flat. Yeah, like, I know that's eating him alive, right? He feels, he's feeling the same course. Superman syndrome that Frank Harris. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Totally, totally, man. And that, then they rub off on one another uh, in that. And look, you know, he, he stuck him right back on the field after questionably, you know, he should have stayed out the rest of the quarter and at least gone into the locker room um, after mm-hmm. the scare against Texas State. Mm-hmm. So 
I'm almost positive Frank Harris is going to be forced out there by way of Jeff Trailer wanting to get all the all the guys, all the band back together and, and turn this thing around. But I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's necessary this week. Maybe against UAB here. Yeah, and, you know, the hard part about this is it's such a tough injury to evaluate. Like Frank got medically cleared for Army, but does that that doesn't like with turf toe, that doesn't mean that you can go out there and play and not re-aggravate it, right? I mean, I've had turf toe in my life and it lingered for so long. And like, you feel like you're finally done with it. And then just something weird happens. You step the wrong way or whatever. And then it's back, you know, maybe not as bad as it was when you first injured it, uh, but to where it hampers your mobility for sure. So you know, just in a tough spot, you know, with, with handling this specific injury to a quarterback and your franchise player, uh, to make an NFL comparison. So I don't envy him. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. I just but, really hope he's not rushed back before he's truly correct, ready. Correct. And and that said, you know, as, as, as careful as we want to be with the health, I also feel like the tone of practice needs to change. And look, I haven't been at a UTSA football practice. I don't know how it is, but I can tell you one thing that these guys aren't prepared to play physically. They don't look ready to go out there and hit to make the tackles. They don't look conditioned enough to go out there and run with the other horses of, of our opponents, they don't look like they're in shape to play football. And, and I think that's another part of why we see these September injuries. Which is crazy because they rotate so much too. They're not playing, not many of these guys are playing 80 snaps a game like at other programs. And maybe that's why they think it's okay to not go full speed during that, practice. That's a good point. I've never considered that. Yeah. And I, and I just think it's totally wrong. And I think we've seen this, this happen now. I think this has trended over enough Septembers to argue that it needs to be fixed. I think we need to have some full speed practices. I think we need to get some, some sprints ran. I think we need to get some full contact tackling. I think we need to get guys getting freaking ass exhausted, puking in the trash cans, <laughs> puking all those Skittles, all those Skittles. out. <laughs> and I don't want to see another zip line. I thought we were so far past the days of piss nutrition for the UTSA Roadrunners, but clearly we're not because the Skittles and the M&Ms are still being devoured by the gallon-sized Ziploc bag. That's what oh, I don't man. want to see any more of coming out of the bye week. I don't want to see any more freaking ass M&M bags. All right. Any, anything else you want to get for your chest, man? Thank God it's bye week. Thank God it's bye week, man. Before we go, I want to thank, say thank you to our big money donors on Patreon. Last week, they were treated early access to our first ever softball guest interview podcast. Uh, Dan interviewed Cameron Robillard from the softball team. And dude, she was so like honest and transparent about what going through that coaching transition was like. I just feel like it's so rare to have a student athlete tell you in as many words as she did what mm. that mental mind space is like. That was uh, fascinating to me. Definitely go check out the interview. It's on our main feed now. Um, and then Dan also got a huge guest, a professional baseball player for a Where Are They Now segment. And of course, our Patreon subscribers get early access to that as they do all of our episodes that'll be dropping later this week. So thank you to our big money donor. Uh, that's a good teaser, right? 
Uh, so thank you to our big money donors, Ben Tovar, Rick Cortez of Reality Road Grillers, The Bunch Family, Zach Espedicueta and the San Antonio Podcast Network, The Fox Family, Alejandro Benavides, Dan Nerdal himself, the host of Around the Birdbath, Jacob Cavasso is board president for the UTSA Alumni Association, Maddie and Mandy, and Jenna and Andy Anzaldua. Thank you guys. This has been a wrap on episode 225. If you're still listening, go follow us on social media outlets if you're not. And go hit up our store. Got some deals coming your way. Got some new items in the works. So stay tuned. 